You are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu forward slash Ellison Center. So uh, my name is Phil Lyon. I'm the managing director of the Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies uh, Center here at the Jackson School. Um, and today we are, I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Balint Ablonsi, who's a prominent journalist and a visiting Transatlantic Media Fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C., also known as CSIS. Um, in his native Hungary, he is the head of domestic and foreign political news for Heti Balas. Please forgive all pronunciation. Beautiful pronunciation. Beautiful. Like a, like a, it's, it's a gift. Maybe you are Hungarian. Possibly. <laughs> you never know. Um, so he's a, a head of domestic and foreign political news for Heti Balas, um, which is Hungary's second largest weekly. And he additionally serves as editor-in-chief of Commentar, a bi-monthly review of history, culture, and public affairs. Um, he was previously deputy editor and then editor of domestic affairs for Heti Volaz, and he has written out, he's written extensively on Hungarian politics as well as on EU and foreign affairs. Um, he's a regular commentator on national television in Hungary, as well as radio political programs, and we are lucky to have him today. So, welcome, Balint Ablonsi. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for your introduction, Phil. Uh, I am happy to be here. I am happy to see the name of Evelyn Farkas, uh, who, is a, who has a Hungarian background, too. Right. So... Uh, Hungarians are everywhere. Uh, I have prepared a little introduction and presentation about myself, my country, and my job uh, with a president. It's the Hungarian uh, PowerPoint. It's risky to say that in Seattle, but I think it's better than uh, PowerPoint. Uh, and then I have um, uh, a short overview of the current uh, European and Hungarian situation, and then I am ready to ask your questions and sharing your tools. So, I think uh, we could transform ourselves in a Q&A session uh-huh. without any uh, formality. Great. So, uh, first of all, that presentation. Yes, it's a kind of newspaper. Yes, the Hungarian voice. It's the, the name. Yes, and uh, you can see the building of the parliament of Budapest. It's uh, one of the symbols of the, of the capital, and it's one of my workplaces. So, as a political reporter... I am uh, regularly in this beautiful building, uh, talking to MPs, ministers, sources. So it's a very important place uh, for me. It's a beautiful place too, and I am happy to to be here every week. And my editorial office in, in, uh, is in the other side of the River Danube. So it's uh, I am in the heart of the of the city and the Hungarian politics. And uh, as you can see, I'm sorry, you are uh, familiar with Hungarian Central Europe, but I have summarize some basic facts about my country just to have an overview. As you can see, uh, the scale is a little bit different. So Hungary has the, the, the size, of, roughly the size of Indiana. So it's not the, the scale of the whole US. It's a small country, but on the European level, let's say it's a medium-sized country. So I am a proud Hungarian. So let's say that it's a medium-scale country. Uh, you can see the population, the GDP, the religions. I am very interested and one of my area of uh, research here in the United States is the place of religion in American public life. I have written uh, 
uh, stories about uh, the religion in the South, uh, and uh, that's why I have uh, written just a, a couple of, of data about the Hungarian uh, Hungarian's religion. Yes, Catholicism is the most important religion. Protestantism, a small but very strong uh, Protestant community, the, the biggest in Central Europe, Judaism, Islam, and uh, yes, Hungary is a pretty secular country. You, are, you can see the undeclared and non-religious people. And uh, the membership in international organization, we have been member of the EU since 2004, the NATO, 1999. It's, uh, it's pretty important when we are talking about transatlantic relationship and the, the crisis inside the EU, uh, so we are strongly uh, in the transatlantic community, even if sometimes we are, or the Hungarian go government is, is talking um, about, or is talking an, an other language. And uh, the official language of the country is Hungarian. It's pretty important, and there is a map. It's a funny map about the word beer. And as you can see in the middle is Hungary, and uh, beer is completely different from every other languages in Europe, so we say sure. It's completely different from pivo, from beer, from other, uh, other words in Europe. Uh, but uh, it's not, not only about the language, but it's, I think it's uh, one of the most important characteristics of the, of the Hungarian culture and politics, that Hungary is a kind of island of language. And um, in the culture, it's a kind of very interesting impact, and, and it contributes to have a very vibrant culture. But in the political level, sometimes we are able to be very isolation, uh, being isolationist or being very uh, apart from the other part of, of Europe. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, we have to set up a, a whole structure of thinking uh, that we, we are Europeans, we are part of the community, and we are member of the family. And now a couple of words about my weekly. You can see the story of the weekly Hetivalos. It's weekly response in, in English. It's our cover story when the Hungarian film uh, Son of Shaw won the Oscar uh, last month. So it was a national pride, and it's a very interesting and fascinating movie. So if you can see it, I, I, I can see that uh, it's worth to see it. And uh, the weekly was funded in 2001. With this uh, circulation, we are the second best uh, in the country. So it's a generalist uh, uh, news magazine, a little bit like Time or Newsweek. You can see the, the design is a, is, a, is a little similar, let's say. You can see the staff. It's a pretty small staff, uh, but we have three pillars. Uh, I am responsible for the public life, so internal and international affairs, politics first of all. But we have a very strong business pillar. A lot of entrepreneurs, CEOs are among uh, our readers. So it's uh, pretty important in the business community in Budapest, first of all, but in the whole country. And we are very interested in culture, of course. It's, uh, um, in Hungary, culture, culture even today plays a very important role. And uh, I think we are pretty good in, in, in covering these subjects. Of course, we are very present in, in, uh, in, in the internet. And our uh, edition house, publishing house, has other journals. We, are, we have a gastronomy magazine. Gastronomy is pretty important now, and it's a kind of gastronomical revolution in, in Hungary. We have five Michelin stars restaurants in Budapest, so if you can come, welcome. It's, uh, it's worth to, to try them. And uh, we have a journals for engineers, accountants, but there are uh, other people to, to prepare them. Yes, it's me.
So I am in a political show, a late political show in a, in a TV channel. And yes, basically I am a journalist and I have always been a journalist from the print media. But of course today there is no print media such as, there is no internet media such as there is a combined. So I am, uh, I work of course for our website and I was an editor-in-chief for a political cultural youth magazine. And of course we had a very strong internet presence. And um, basically, yes, I, I began my career as a trainee at the, the weekly of the Reformed Church of Hungary. It's a, the most important Protestant church in Hungary. And then I worked at the Daily Magyar Nemzet. And I have been working for Hetivala since 2004. So I am a veteran, honestly, in the Hungarian politics. But basically, uh, I am a historian. I have a, histor a historical background. I graduated as historian at the University of Budapest, University Alta of Budapest. And uh, yes, uh, journalism has always been a passion, but I've never learned journalism at, at the university level. And now my favorite quotation about, my favorite sentence about journalism, it's an American journalist from the Washington Post. And I, 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 I like it because it's the combine of history and, and journalism. And I think it's a very good introduction of, of myself and, and my job. I don't know if you have any questions at that level, or... Okay. Who owns these papers? Uh, it's an entrepreneur who, who has very strong media presence, but other uh, ownership in, the, in building, in construction business and, and agricultural business. So it's not... Uh, we have a very strong uh, German and Austrian media companies presence in Hungary. So the most important newspapers and television channels are owned by German companies, basically. Uh, but yes, there is a the segment of the market are in Hungarian, uh, Hungarian entrepreneurs' uh, hands. Basically, Hetivalas is a conservative news magazine, you have to know. So, but I would like to say that uh, we are more loyal to our values and to our, our readers than any political parties or, or any political ideologies. We have been close, uh, close to the current government, uh, to the Fidesz party, but today it's a little bit more complicated relationship, let's say, like in Facebook. Uh, but I would like to, if, if there is any question about, I'm, I'm happy to, to speak about. And, uh, and now a few points about the, the European situation. I think we are facing four problems in, in Europe, in the EU. Uh, a psychological problem, an economical problem, a political problem, and the fourth, it's a combine of the, the first three, uh, the migration or refugee crisis. I think it's a combine of, of, the, of uh, psychological, economical, and political factors. Uh, first of all, uh, let's speak about the, the psychological problem. I think Brexit, the possible British exit of the European Union, is, uh, is almost a more important psychological problem than economic problem. Maybe it's a little bit subjective, and we have written a lot of stories about the economical impacts of a possible UK exit. But I think at the end, uh, a now completely unpredictable referendum and uh, uh, Brexit uh, could not destroy, but uh, wound very hardly the, the whole European construction and the whole European process. Because the, the, the story of the European Union has been since uh, 1957, since the Treaty of Rome, was always being together, going deeper, uh, and, and always the, the, the story of integration. 
And if a major player and a key actor and a very important power of the European Union leaves the European Union, I think the story would be about the disintegration of the European Union. And I, I think the psychological impact would be more important than, than the economical impact on the long term. Of course, on the short term, on the both sides, we, we will have problems, but I think, I think it, will be, it will be more complicated. The second point, the economical problems or, or crisis. Honestly, there is a chronic weakness, not only in the Eurozone, but in the whole European Union. The growth uh, is not enough, clearly. So France is predict predicted 1.3% this year. Uh, we are talking about the second most important country in the European Union. Uh, country is supposed to, to run the European Union with, the, with Berlin. It's not enough, clearly. There is a slow recovery in jobs, in growth. The, the debt is, is too high, even today, in, in the European Union. And uh, I think even the, uh, if the V4 countries, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, has an average of 3.1 growth, Without the Western Europe, without the other parts of the of the European Union, and without the south uh, the the southern southern part of Europe, uh, I think um, it would be a, a pretty hard job to put everything together. So now the European Union is a kind of puzzle on the economical term, and it's it's another factor of disintegration, honestly. So if if you can see so huge differences in terms of growth, it it will be very hard to put. Uh, everything together. And uh, unemployment, it's a huge task uh, everywhere in Europe. Uh, maybe you know that in, in Spain today, 45% uh, of the young people under uh, 35 are, are under job, without jobs. Uh, I think we cannot, uh, we cannot lose this generation. So this generation is my generation. Is, that's, this generation is the future of, of the Europe, of the European Union. Uh, if we lose them, we lose the, the common European dream, it's clear. And I think there is a, a huge uh, political uh, impact in, in the European politics, this problem of growth and problem of jobs. If you, you see at, at the Spain with the Podemos, very strong, a very strong uh, leftish, let's say, populist party, but the, in the other countries, you keep your big Front National, Swedish Democrats, even in Germany, AFD, they are strongly linked not only the, the effect of the migration crisis, but the problem of economical growth. So, so we have to solve the, this problem. The third point, I think uh, we have a problem of leadership and external politics. We are not ready to speak together at the same voice. There is, you know, it's always difficult to put together 28 countries, but I have to be very critical with my own country, with my own government, uh, for example, in the story of Russia and Ukraine, uh, Hungary and others, other countries playing uh, for themselves, and it's okay. Uh, every government is uh, governments are playing for themselves, but uh, when you are uh, on a crossroads, and clearly uh, the the Ukrainian crisis was a, was a crossroad because we have never seen since the World War II a European country invading another European country. I think it's, it's the deadline. It's when you have to stop your uh, stubbornness and your self-interest, and you have to be very bold, and you have to be very concerned, and you have to be very strong. And clearly, the strong answer uh, is missing. 
okay, we have sanctions, it's a good thing, but basically we are waiting for the United States, honestly. So we are, the United States is uh, missing uh, from the European scene now, and, uh, and we can see that without the United States, without the strong commitment of the United States, the European Union is weak. If we look at the Ukrainian theater, if we look at, at the Middle East, uh, we cannot speak at the same language. And I think it's probably the biggest problem, the biggest political leadership problem we are facing on. And, uh, of course, Berlin is the natural leader of the European Union, but as we have seen during the migration uh, refugee crisis, if uh, Berlin is disturbed, if Berlin is losing the path toward uh, the whole European Union is in confusion. And uh, it's particularly important in Central Europe because Hungary and other countries are not only very strongly bounded to, to Germany, but we are the backyard of the German industry. So the V4 countries are most important trade partner for Germany than the United States. So uh, when uh, Berlin is in trouble, we are in trouble too. Uh, so we cannot underestimate the, the difficulties we are facing now uh, in the European level in terms of political leadership. And then the combine of these uh, uh, the problems, economical, political, and psychological problem, the refugee or, or migration crisis, I think there are two phases uh, of the coin. First of all, of course, it's a, it's a huge humanitarian catastrophe. And we are speaking about human beings. It's not a question. But at the other side, I, I agree with General Bradlow. Bradlow, uh, the American general uh, who is the leader of American NATO forces in Europe, who said that the migration flood spreads the cancer of ISIS inside Europe. And honestly, after Paris, after Brussels, we can only agree with him. Uh, according to Hungarian and European uh, intelligence and police authorities, uh, Abdel Islam, Abdel Abdel Islam, the brain of the Paris attacks and the Brussels uh, attacks, uh, picked up two guys in Budapest, uh, and two terrorists who killed themselves in Paris. And those guys arrived from the Middle East with, the, with this flood of, of unco completely uncontrolled uh, uh, people. So uh, the will, basically the will of Germany has been that we will schaffen das, we will fix it. Uh, Angela Merkel has said it uh, clearly last September, but now with the deal we have signed with Turkey, it's clear that we couldn't shuffle us. That uh, uh, honestly, we are rich but weak, and it's the words com it's the words combined. So uh, we 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 were not able to protect our borders, and now honestly, we are trying to deal with the with the Turkish government, who is blackmailing us. If you look at the process, first of all, Mr. Erdogan said, okay, we will help you, uh, we will stop them, uh, but we need money. Oh, okay, we could understand, it's a huge humanitarian burden. The Turkish government was asking 3 billion of euros, a huge amount of money, okay. And then, a couple of weeks later, they said, ah, sorry, miscalculation, we need 6 billion of euros, the double. And then they said, okay, uh, for the money, but we need uh, visa-free travel in Europe. And maybe we would like to be the member of the European Union. And uh, now we are, we, we, are, uh, we are paying the price of being uh, 
you know, too naive with the Turkish government. And now we are in a very bad position of dealing with the Turkish government because we, we don't have tools. We, we didn't protect our borders. Uh, and uh, now the Turkish government knows very well that we are in a very bad situation and we are ready to, to, to pay everything to stop this flood. Because honestly, even a rich and powerful country like Germany is unable to cope with 1.2 million of refugees or asylum seekers a year. It's impossible. If you go to Berlin, uh, uh, young guys from the high schools don't have physical education uh, schedule because uh, people are lying and sleeping in the, uh, the, the gymnasium and the, the, the gymnasiums. gymnasiums. So uh, it's a completely, and the situation, if you look at uh, the German um, police officials, they are clearly, clearly, say, clearly saying that the, the situation is no, uh, no more under control. And if you look at the Cologne events, New Year's Eve, it was a completely uh, chaos uh, in the heart of Germany. So we don't know who, uh, who is responsible for this situation. Honestly, I don't believe this whole stuff of uh, conspiracy terrorists. Uh, um, and that there is a complex situation in the Middle East. But now we, as a whole, as the European Union, uh, we are in a very bad situation. And we have to deal with the, with the Turkish government. And we are in the hands of the Turkish governments. And it's a bad news for the European cohesion, honestly. Thank you. So it's, that's all. Great. And uh, I'm ready to answer your questions or remarks. Okay. Well, maybe um, I will start off the questions and answer session just by asking you um, a little bit about domestic politics, Hungarian politics, and then maybe you sure. can broaden that out to uh, more of a European level. Um, in addition to Fidesz, the, the party that you mentioned, um, earlier, the other political party that um, people in the United States might be familiar with in Hungary is, is of course, the Jobbik Party, which is a, a far-right party um, uh, which embraces a lot of symbi symbolism that that is reminiscent of, of the interwar period and the, the wartime period in Hungary. Um, where did this far-right party come from, and, and who are its supporters? Um, or two of my two of my first questions. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a significant party. I understand it's now the second largest voting bloc. Second, third, yes, second but very important, yes. Um, I'm curious to know how Viktor Orban's Fidesz has responded to the challenge of the, of the Fidesz party. Uh, sorry, of the Jobbik party. And then um, I was wondering if you could discuss sort of the, what, what appears to be a trend towards a rise in right-wing parties in... Europe. Maybe, it's, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's just confirmation bias. But um, in addition to, to Fidesz, um, we have uh, the European, sorry, the uh, Polish Law and Justice Party um, recently won elections and is now in power in, um, in, in Poland. Um, the France's far-right National Front had some strong showings in recent regional elections. And um, just recently, the Alternative for Deutschland um, not, not only uh, not only did did very well in in, local, in state elections, but actually won seats in two Western German states, which yes. was which is which is interesting because normally the the hunting grounds, the normal hunting grounds for these for these far right people in, in Germany are the Eastern states. So could you, um, like I said, please talk about the political scene in Hungary and then tell us if we're seeing a bigger 
trend in Europe, or is this just sure. possibly confirmation bias? Yes, I agree with you, Phil. There is a momentum in Europe, the rise of the, let's say, constant, constantation party or, or uh, anti-establishment parties. Uh, on the south of the Europe, they are typically leftist parties, Podemos, Beppegrillo, I don't know if we can put him in a, in a structure, but let's say on the left, Greece, Syriza. And in the cent- central European scene or Western Europe, it's typically uh, right-wing and extremist language of anti-establishment. It, and it's very in- interesting because, and it's related to the Jobbik phenomenon, it's not only about politics, it's about anti-establishment at all. So anti-media, anti-mainstream media, anti-business, anti-everything. I think uh, without involving very well in the uh, American politics, I think there are kind of of parallels in the current American elections. And and I think Jobbik is part of the phenomenon, but... uh, and it's, but it's typically Hungarian in a way that for them the contestation of the regime and the establishment is basically with the words and the rhetoric of the old Hungarian far right uh, from the two world war period. So they have started the uh, party as a young, as an organization of young people at the universities. And, uh, and after 2006, when the left won the elections uh, in Hungary, uh, uh, but the, okay, it's a long story. But the Hungarian prime minister at that time admitted that, that he was lying to win the elections, and the troubles and the manifestations uh, began in, in Budapest. And that time it was the great time for Jobbik because it was the you know the lying establishment. You know, when a, a prime minister is admitting that he was lying for winning the elections... Was he recorded also? Yes, it yeah. was recorded and, and a huge trouble in the street of Budapest and right. street fight. We have never seen something like this right. since '56, the revolution right. of... So, you know, it was a huge trouble. And, you know, for a contestant party saying, you know, listen, listen, there are the liars and the, and the establishment lying about the, the state of the country. So for them, and basically they have, they have said the same thing about Fidesz. Uh, for them, in 2000, then the most famous Jobbik billboard poster was uh, a, jail, a photo about a jail, and they, they wrote about it, 20 years for the 20 years. So 20 years of punishment in jail for everybody of the so-called corrupt political elite for the 20 years since the transition. So, you know, they, and, but they use, and it's a very interesting uh, para or, or opposition because they are young people. Gabor Vona, the president of the party, is uh, 35. Uh, and the other leaders of the Yobbik are very young people. But basically, they, 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 they were speaking the language, it's the old-school Hungarian far-right. Now it's a very interesting question because they are, they are playing a completely different music. They try to, to, make the, they try to follow the example of Front National, of Marine Le Pen, who, who is a, uh, a different politician of, of her father, and more, not moderate, but, but she's speaking, she, she doesn't speak about the, the Jewish conspiracy and, uh, and, you know, the whole stuff, uh, but he's a modern populist, but she's a modern populist, uh, she's a modern anti-establishment figure. And now, Jobbik is trying to, you know, to throw out this old-style rhetoric and being more centrist and more moderate than, than Fidesz. 
Okay. We, in the Hungarian media, we used to call the, the the Hello Kitty campaign, uh, because yes, you you the president of the party. Uh, we have seen completely amazing photos with 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 cats and pets and and dogs and and being very nice, very well dressed, very polite. You know the old skinhead figures of the party outside. No, we don't have any common grounds with that guys. We are the new moderate uh, popular party, and. Um, we will see, we will see, but uh, basically uh, it's clear that they, they have a roof, uh, uh, a roof because they were too harsh, too extremist. They have, they have their limits at, let's say, uh, 15, 17, 20 percent. If we look at, at the anticipated elections, in, uh, for example, in a, in a very important city in the northeast of the country, when the mayor died and, uh, and the left won the city, it was a national contest, national importance because of, of, of uh, Fidesz and the Socialist Party involved, the, the Yobik lost uh, they, they vote uh, because, uh, you know, when there is a question about contestation, Yobik is the best. When, is, when the question is about the governance of your city, of the country, is a completely different question. People don't believe today, let's say, people don't believe that Yobik... Uh, is able to govern a country because uh, we have seen these guys on the street in a kind of paramilitary style and shouting uh, awful things and being very friendly with a lot of awful dictators and people don't believe that they are you know, they are uh, ready for governance and uh, Jobbik uh, knows that he has a problem and they are trying to be more moderate, more well-dressed more polite and more polished but it's a, it's a very tough question. But it's clear that the base is basically uh, young people uh, because they are the part of the contestation. So when they are speaking about the old, the elites, the establishment, they are speaking about Fidesz too. Fidesz basically was a young uh, alliance of young Democrats. Uh, they, uh, Orban Viktor was 26 in 19, uh, 1990 when he was first elected to the parliament. Uh, at that time, the, the language of the, of the contestation and the vote of the youth, the young people, was Fidesz. And now we are on the other side of the story. Now Fidesz is contested by young people uh, from the right. So it's a very interesting question. So young people, basically, yes, Budapest at university, universities, they are very strong. And uh, let's say the losers of the transition, uh, pensioners, unemployed people, uh, people who who are frustrated with the, with the uh, uh, Roma and Hungarian living together, so the problems of everyday's conflicts, ethnical conflicts of everyday's, uh, and, and uh, Jobbik is trying to manipulate these kind of problems and saying that I am the guy, the, the, other guys don't, uh, the, the other guys are speaking the political correct language and they don't solve your problems. I don't speak the political correct language. I will solve your problems. So, yes, uh, young people who could be the winners of the transition, who could, uh, who could uh, uh, travel freely, who could uh, study at uh, foreign universities, and losers of the transition, old people, unemployed people. So it's a, a strange coalition of, of, uh, of people. And basically, Fidesz uh, uh, had a politic of containment, uh, it was not so successful for uh, for a time because Yobik uh, was growing, growing, growing. But today, honestly, uh, when the question is uh, when the question is about the, the governance of the country, even the voters of Yobik are not sure that their party is ready for. Uh, 
So today there is a huge gap uh, that they, they, they couldn't, for, for that moment, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't fulfill. Yes? So if the EU disintegrates, what, what, what does Hungary gain and what does Hungary lose? Honestly, even the core voters of Fidesz, so the supporters of Mr. Orban, who, are, who likes him as a freedom fighter, freedom fighter staying in, in the European Parliament and fighting with Daniel Cohn-Bendit and the Greens and the left, and they are very happy with that, that we are on the, on the European level and we are fighting. Even those voters, they are saying that basically the European Union is a good thing for Hungary. 80%, 75-80% of the Hungarian voters are for the EU. And even Mr. Orban, when he is very harsh uh, with the European Commission, he's always saying, okay, we are fighting with the European Commission, but the European Union is a good thing for Hungary, basically. But we have to change the rules, etc., etc. So I think it would be a, a, a huge loss for the country. I am... 34, oh my God. Uh, but I could remember the time when uh, the borders and passing the borders was a, was a, a, a huge process. And when it was, when we had to stop at the Romanian borders and we had to show our passports and wait a lot of times and sometimes uh, uh, getting a bottle of whiskey uh, to, the, to the guys at the borders. And, and now we have the feeling that we are the, again the member of the European family. And it's clear if the European Union disintegrates it's over with the, border, the, the free movement, so it's clear. Uh, so that I think we will, we will lose a, a, a lot, and honestly, even the European Union is sometimes not enough strong in the global level. So imagine Hungary, or even the V4 countries, dealing with China, dealing with Russia, uh, de dealing with the climate change, so it's impossible. So probably the, the last... Um, supporters of the European Union will be the, the people from Central Europe who sometimes, from the outside world, could be seen as very tough and harsh with, with, with Brussels. But honestly, we know that we could be, uh, lose much more than we could, we could gain if the European Union disintegrates. Chris? One simple question, and depending on the answer, some more. Wow. <laughs> An American uh, academic, uh, Richard Rosecrans, a few years ago, wrote a, a book uh, called The Resurgence of the West, How a Transatlantic Union of Europe and America Can Prevent War and Revive the World Economy. Have you read that book? Uh, is that what Not yet. Discussed? Okay. All right. Well, maybe I'll, st I'll stop. <laughs> but I would be happy with the story. So. But well, he... he um, he said many of the things you have said, mm -hmm. unemployment, the, the European leadership problem, the American leadership problem, and he says the problem is that it's not enough to integrate Europe, you have to integrate the entire Atlantic area. We've done it with NATO, and we should now uh, uh, go further. Yep. And, and the, the uh, transatlantic trade uh, and investment partnership uh, is... Uh, is part of that. So maybe that's, I can ask about that. Yes, uh, thank you for your question, because TTIP is a very important and interesting question in Hungarian and European politics too, because basically Mr. Orban has, uh, likes to say very hard thing about Brussels and being, uh, and being sometimes critical with the United States. But he's, uh, 
openly in favor or at least not against the TTIP because of that reason that he's saying and the, the Hungarian politics in general uh, are saying that we are too weak alone. Even in the European Union, we are too weak when we are dealing with China. We have to be together. There are serious concerns about envir environmental issues, health issues, and you know the, the whole world of and, and the whole process is very opaque, honestly. Uh, but uh, I think the, the, the Central Europe is more is more pro uh, pro TTIP than let's say Germany. In Germany, there are thousands and thousands of people in the streets against the TTIP. In in uh, in Central Europe, you don't see this. So I think. Uh, it is, it is worth to think about because, you know, I, I know how in, during a campaign uh, it is, it's easy to say isolationist uh, rhetorics. But honestly, if you lose the European Union and Europe, uh, you are alone uh, as, as the US. So if you go to, to, to China, if you try to deal with the Russians or South America, so... I'm sorry to say that, but the U.S. is not always the, the best loved uh, uh, player in the world. So, uh, and I think there is a, nation, a natural uh, link between the, the two shores of, of, of the Atlantic. Unfortunately, we are missing a little bit the United States. I understand the whole how Asia is important for this current administration. I know that there is an election campaign, it's clear. But I hope that the next administration will be more careful uh, with, uh, with Europe and will be more concerned about the Europeans' uh, challenges. Because I think it's basically, you, without the, uh, the US, Europe is only a peninsula of Asia with a very strong Russian influence. You know, the Hungarian and Central European historical uh, Memory is about the Russians and the Germans dealing with each other, and or or the Soviet Union in the heart of Europe. It's the the the, the, the two things in modern history. So we need the U.S. We need a strong uh, U.S. commitment, and I think it's fruitful for the U.S. too, because you know even today Europe is the more is the closest ally and the close on the cultural, political, economical level is the closest player, key player in the world. I don't think that with, without the EU, it, it would be much more difficult for you, too, to deal with China, for example. And I know how different could be the national interest and the, German, the interest of the German industry, of course. But if the, believe me, if the US is present in, in, the, in, in Europe, uh, it's a game changer. You said a little bit about the, what was it, the V4, uh, Poland, Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovakia. And Slovakia, okay. So the Visegrad. Uh, Visegrad, yes. Uh, okay, yeah. So I was just wondering if you could say a little bit more about that and what the background is. And yes, uh, Visegrad group was funding in 1991. Uh, it was, you know, the first circle of, of the students who wants to be part of the European classroom. Mm -hmm. And it was always difficult to find a place during the European integration and after the European integration for the V4 countries. And now, uh, ironically, there is a new role for the V4 countries. Uh, as the V4 region is a motor for the European Union as in, in growth, and Poland is, is, has become a key player in the international level, 
and the migration crisis and the energy and uh, Russia, uh, I think there is a new role for this cooperation. And uh, during the migration crisis, the four prime ministers issued together statements, and they were very important players when they were dealing with, with Berlin. And I think it's a completely new experience for Central Europe. We have always been the guys in the, in the background, in, sitting in the classroom and listening to the teachers. And now, no, but it's true, you know, it's a new experience being at the table of the, of the big guys and seeing, no, we as Central Europeans, we, are, we have different opinions. And I think it's pretty important because, there, honestly, even today there is a kind of gap between Western and, and, and Central or Eastern European countries. We have, we have dreamed about living rea- uh, like the Germans and the Austrians, but it was a dream, honestly. We have a completely different cultural and historical background. The economical conditions are different. We, we, we will never be like the Germans. And, but we have, we have very similar historical and economical experiences uh, like the Poles and the Czech and the Slovaks. And now it's a, you know, uh, for the, I don't know, the 24 years, let's say, we were, we were always looking to Berlin, to Brussels, to London, to Washington, and, you know, uh, watching to Warsaw or Prague or Budapest, it was a, you know, it's a little bit the, the guy on the countryside, so it was not, not so sexy. And now it's, it's a little bit different. So I think it's a very exciting that uh, could we fulfill with substance this new regional cooperation or is only something against something? Uh, it's a good question. We will see. But I think that in energy politics, in migration, in, uh, in Russia policy, we have, uh, we have a strong voice in, in the European theater now. Sure, George. Uh, you mentioned uh, five minutes ago or so uh, the list of problems, economic migration, and the C word. And since you're a journalist, I'm interested to know how uh, climate is being dealt with across the uh, in Hungary and uh, how that might uh, compare with the United States, where I think as a it's number 21 now in people's political issues instead of three. Is it high in, and, and if so, what kind of role does this press have in that? Honestly, uh, in the Hungarian politics, we are facing a cold civil war. The left and the right doesn't trust each other, and they are fighting each other. But the climate change is a, you know, it's a common political topic. There is no debate about. The Hungarian parliament voted uh, a lot of laws and regulations to, to co- counterattack in the climate change. And uh, uh, Hungary doesn't have you know, um, black... Uh, industries, so our, our industry is not based on coal. It's a very important question in Poland. For them, uh, for Poland now, it's a it's a huge issue. But but in Hungary, there is a kind. Of, we have a, a green party in the parliament, and one of the most important campaign topics was precisely the the climate change and the changes of the agriculture. It's a very important question in Hungary. It's basically a, a, an agricultural country. Even today, it's a very important. Um, uh, play on the economy, and yes, I think there is. is it's a not not a divided uh, question in Hungary. So it's one of the few topics uh, where the left and the right could could work together. And I think it's a it's a very it's a pretty good thing. You sure set a good example for us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know how divided it is, but for you know, for for the Hungarian perspective, or or maybe the European uh, perspective, it's it's. Uh, Exciting, but honestly, it's completely off the record. But 
in in Hungary climate change, opposing the climate change it's something you know suspicious or kind of consp- at the level of conspiracy theory or something like that so there is a a political and scientific consensus and i was wondering and uh, amazed that serious politicians on the on one side were speaking against the climate change and I don't judge them, but I was interested to hear the arguments and how how uh, important the debate is in the United States about the climate change, and it's not a, not an issue in Hungary. Thank you. Okay. Just yes. Uh, um, I have a question about journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, Barack Obama gave a speech about journalism at an award ceremony, I think, a few days ago. Um, he made a few points. I think they're maybe important um, to paraphrase, paraphrase. We talked about how our attention plans are getting shorter, uh, the challenge for editors and journalists are to make their pieces more entertaining. Um, but as we see in our election cycle, having journalism be too entertaining is, is also dangerous. Uh, can you reflect on that? And before you do, could you say what you've been doing for the last four weeks? <laughs> uh, yes, my editors ask every day a story about Mr. Trump. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but I am I am resisting, so <laughs> I don't write to. Uh, you've been traveling around the United States, right? Yes, I'm. So it's a great loop around the United States, and I I meet a lot of amazing people, but I know how. Uh, important it is now, the, the whole phenomenon, and to understand what is happening. Of course, I have written a story during the South Carolina primaries because I was in South Carolina at that time, so I, I had to explain the whole phenomenon and I had to speak to people who support him and, and people who oppose him and, and so the whole background. But uh, yes, basically we are facing the same challenges. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about political and economical pressure in the European media, but I think the most important challenge is how to avoid the traps of peopleization of the serious and mainstream media. Because honestly, uh, writing stories based on Twitter accounts, it's, you know, so it's, a, it's not journalism. So it's, it's being in this logic of punching, counter-punching. And, and, but it's a vicious circle, you know, because it's the news, and, and you, you are in the news uh, 7.45, so you have to be the part, the, you have to participate in, the, in, the, in, that, uh, in that process, but uh, it's, it's very hard. We don't have the good answers, I think. We, are, we, are, we, we try a lot of things to combine the, the, the internet and the, the serious print media and how to attract people without being too pushy, but it, it's hard, because at the same time, we, we, so it's, you know, it's a company, we have to make benefits, and we have to sell our uh, our our, uh, our weekly. So it's not you know it's not an intellectual game and being serious. It's it's you know it's every day. It's a it's a hard fight for the readers and people who are ready to 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 pay to pay for the information. Now you know a lot of people don't want to pay in Hungary because everything is on the internet. Why to pay a lot of money for a weekly? Uh, it's a it's it's a huge issue. And and newspapers, daily newspapers are dying, are dying. They they they, they lose readers every day, and they don't they they try everything. But you know it's a slippery slope, and they are facing the same problem that Le Monde. So not only the Modern Times Daily or Népszabadság Daily Hungary, but Le Monde. 
Guardian, uh, the, the Süddeutsche Zeitung, uh, Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, they are facing the same problems. How to avoid the trap of, of being uh, popular without substance? Yes, it's, I think it's the key challenge. Um, so you mentioned the Syrian refugee crisis mm -hmm. and how the flood has potentially opened the doors um, to terrorists. Um, but I was wondering, uh, ISIS has done a good job reaching out through the internet and reaching out to uh, disaffected Muslim populations across the world. Um, and we saw that in the Paris and Brussels attacks, um, many of the terrorists were actually citizens of EU. Um, and so I was wondering sort of what maybe the EU is doing, what Hungary is doing to try to reach out to these disaffected populations and try to sort of bring them into society better. Honestly, in Hungary is a known issue. If you look at the polls, 85% are saying that no way. So I wouldn't be cynical, but people are saying Turkish and Arab restaurants in Budapest, yes. Parallel societies, no. And it's very hard to say that, oh, no way for parallel societies. It's very easy to integrate them because it's not true. If you, and if you look at Western Europe, there is no model. If you look at the UK, problems. France, oh my God. Sweden, oh, it's not easy. So how to, and so the integration is, uh, is, is failing everywhere. So probably the best, uh, the best tactics for Central Europe, and it, I, I'm honestly, I, I have to say that I would be more uh, optimistic, but probably the, mo <laughs> the easiest way not to fa fall in this trap is, is to avoid the, the danger of parallel societies. I have lived in France for years, at the beginning of the 90s. My mother worked at the University of Strasbourg, and I love them, and I know a lot of French people, and I follow the French politics, but at that time, in the 90s, at the 90s, uh, and I lived in a neighborhood, a very multicultural neighborhood. At that time, when a classmate uh, has a pro had a problem, and the teacher asked to, to her mother to come, uh, the, my classmate translated because her mother didn't speak French after 20 or 30 years in France and it was in the 90s so it was the golden age you know now it's it's more complicated more difficult uh, there is a generation there is a lost generation yes of these young kids without education and with a criminal background sometimes and for them radical Islam is a kind of refuge you know they they, they send themselves male and, 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 and uh, somebody. Without this kind of, of, of uh, totalitarian structure, they feel themselves completely out of the touch. And uh, I, honestly, I am very pessimistic about uh, the stories. I spent a lot of time in, in Brussels uh, when I am covering European affairs. I know very well the airport and the, the metro station and the hotel when I used to, used to stay at that day in Brussels, it was the first ad place, and people were dying in the hall of the hotel because of Belgian citizens of, of this background. So honestly, it's a, it's, and it's a hundred of meters from the EU centers. So honestly, I think it's a symbol of what is happening now in Europe, and I am very pessimistic uh, about the possible positive outcome of the whole story. 
let's talk about Russia. Oh. Um, so uh, we're favorite points here with the Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies Center. So we might as well get some Russia content in there. Um, it seems that uh, Hungarian foreign policy. I mean, you've talked about how the Hungarians uh, consider themselves good citizens of the of the EU, even when maybe they seem to be speaking forcefully against Brussels. Um, it, it seems, however, that and, and of course Hungary is a, mem- is a member of NATO. It seems that there might be um, some drift, however, from the normally reliably pro-Western foreign policy of Hungary and a little bit more flirtation with, with Russia. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, visited uh, Hungary for an important bilateral um, meeting uh, in, I think, 2015, 2015 February. Um, and uh, great, some great photographs um, from that from that event. Um, and then, um, of course, uh, there, there's there's been uh, Russia. Hungary has turned its has opened its energy policy more, up to Russia much more mm-hmm. than it had in the past. The um, Rosatom, I understand, is going to be doing the modernization of the Pax um, nuclear plant. And um, additionally, uh, Hungary, I believe, is on board for to support the Turkish Stream project for um, Gazprom to, to bring gas to Europe and bypass Hungary, I mean, uh, bypass Ukraine. Um, could you talk about some of these developments and maybe where you see the relationship with Russia going and how that, maybe what implications that might have for the transatlantic partnership and for, for Europe? Uh, thanks for the question. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know how many days. I don't know how many days we have now to talk about the question. Uh, first, I would like to be fair with the Hungarian government, and then I would like to punch them okay. in that order. <laughs> so there is a side of uh, real politic uh, behind. So Hungary is 77% exporting to the EU, and uh, 80% dependent of Russian energy. So you know, at one side you have to diversify. Uh, you have to deal with China, Russia, other key actors to, for, for your economic growth. And at the other side, you have to be careful because you are dependent on the energy side from a big, powerful bear in the neighborhood. And if you look at the, the map of Central Europe, uh, uh, there is a very interesting overlap between the, the guys who are depending from Russia on the energy level and who are the soft, soft liners. There is an overlap. It's very interesting. Slovakia, Czech Republic, Austria, Hungary. Um, it, and it's different for Romania and for Poland. So I think there is a kind of real politic, and all Hungarian governments were trying to, to play this very, uh, very uh, interesting game, let's say, uh, about, uh, about the Russian relationship. I think, but... I think the, the, the thing that Orban didn't understand, our prime minister didn't understand or wouldn't understand, I don't know, that uh, dealing with the Russians before Ukraine and after Ukraine, it's a completely different story. Because honestly, before Ukraine, everybody uh, dealt with, with Putin, everybody. So it was, you know, of course, there were official declarations about the human rights and Politovskaya and the whole stuff, but honestly, everybody were trying to, to, to deal with Putin. After Ukraine, it was a completely different story. And the problem is that the Hungarian prime minister likes to be the, the black sheep, the guys who is uh, speaking aloud uh, that the, the others are thinking behind the scenes. 
and it's intellectually speaking sometimes it's uh, it's very interesting and uh, you know it's stimulating but honestly uh, you are the prime minister of a small country it's not your job to tell to the others uh, what is going on on the east and it's you know i am a political reporter for 11 years uh, i could understand that hungarian politics is boring after a certain level. <laughs> no, no, it's true. No, it's, psychology is very important sometimes in, in, in politics. And Orban is uh, in Hungarian politics for 25 years. He was first elected prime minister in 1999. He was prime minister until 2010. Then he was elected in 2000, uh, 2002. And he was elected in 2010. And he has been prime minister for five years. Honestly, dealing with the... Uh, health care system and the, 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 the wages of the, of the teachers and how t- it's boring. How exciting to, to speak about the changing world, the new geopolitical challenges, Russia, uh, migration crisis. He, he likes it. He likes, he, he likes the chaos. He likes to be the guy. And, and it's part of the Hungarian political and cultural tradition. It's very important to understand that the most important political figures and historical actors in Hungarian history were freedom fighters. Uh, being uh, on the middle of the battle and, 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 and saying the, the right thing even if, if we are defeated. It's the main, you know, the Hungarian political character. So Orban is part of that tradition, but, but for God's sakes, it's not your job. And I think it's a, com- it's, it's a very, and I, I wrote this, Publicly, so it's not you know not in the United States that I'm seeing. In 2014, in summer 2014, I wrote that we are the useful idiots of the the Russian government, because you know put it for them there is no you know I don't believe that there is a kind of special chemistry or alliance. Uh, Orban has a very important political cornerstone. His speech in 1989. When uh, Imre Nagy, the prime minister of the Hungarian Revolution, was uh, was officially uh, rebired, so uh, what is the word? Rehabilitated. When? Yes, rehabilitated. And he said at time he was an unknown uh, student leader, and he said the Russian has to go home, the Russian troops. And it was incredibly bold at that time. Mm-hmm. And he, it's his political uh, cornerstone. So he 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 doesn't have any special political sympathy to an old Czechist. But the fact is that he's thinking that there is an area for maneuver for Hungary, for the national interest. And I think it's a, it's, he completely mis- misunderstood uh, the, the geopolitical challenges. And it's a problem for a prime minister, honestly. And even the core uh, electorate of Fidesz, who is uh, it's a strong anti-communist uh, electorate, and uh, anti-communism means anti-Sovietism. And if you look at the current uh, Russia, I'm sorry to say that, but it's, uh, it's, there are a lot of simili- similitude and similarities with, with the Soviet past and, and now. So even in the core of the, of the Fidesz electorate, it's a kind of, you know, what the hell is, is doing? So there's a kind of what, what and why and, and, and where. So now he, he's trying to make a U-turn. There is a strong uh, Central European cooperation in energy, interconnectors, so the, we are trying to build together pipelines, we are supporting uh, LNG projects in Krik, in Croatia and in Lithuania to, to avoid, uh, you know, this, uh, the, the, the Russian gas. And it's true that all Hungarian government, governments were asking for help for a decade 
to the U.S. government for the Nabucco pipeline. It was a pipeline project to avoid uh, the Russia, uh, Russian connection and having uh, uh, gas in Central Europe and Europe from Central Asia. But it was, you know, a dream, and um, uh, we 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 have to deal without. But uh, so it's. I think it's more uh, more rhetoric and more the misjudgment about the situation than real cooperation. Because honestly, the Russian uh, don't need us. We don't have, uh, you know, it's not a big country. We don't have uh, very important manufacturer capabilities. We don't have a strong. I don't know. Uh, industry for them, uh, yes, it's very important to have guys, uh, not only states but extremist parties, all parties uh, rising uh, extremist parties are very strongly linked to uh, to Russia, and having this kind of uh, of governmental allies who are trying to to play their game. Uh, uh, Hungary is for the sanctions. Uh, Orban is speaking uh, uh, openly that we are losing a lot of money. That's true. But he's always voting for the sanctions. Uh, Hungary is a key uh, member of the NATO in the Central European area. We have sent troops in, in Kurdistan, in Iraq, and we are very strongly, our military is very strongly cooperating with, with, the, with the U.S. military. So sometimes, honestly, the perception is, is worse than the reality, but I have to blame for that perception Orban. It's his, his fault, and uh, he, he, he doesn't know that the Russians are playing with us, that he's not on the same level. He's on the same level with the Russians if there is a common European ground. We can, we can protect ourselves with the, with the others alone. It's impossible. And there is a kind of, and I will terminate with this, there is a kind of hypocrisy, honestly, with, in, in the European politics, because Berlin and Germany has blamed Hungary, for the Russian connection, and they had, they they were right, but at the same times, uh, the Germans were were signed a huge energy deal with Gazprom, the Nord Stream two project, to avoid the Ukrainians. So you know, uh, there is a kind of double standard with the big players, big deals; small players, small deals. Okay, Chris. Chris, I'd like to comment unless somebody has a question. Uh, I think you made a really important point that uh, the Ukrainian situation drastically changed uh, relations, and that before then, uh, the Germans, uh, as you uh, mentioned, and uh, even the Poles, uh, uh, the Hungarians, the Italians, uh, France too, uh, pursued a, a, a policy that to me, made a, uh, or at least it, it seemed to have a, 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 a tremendous logic to it, that, that if long-term economic uh, connections could be established, uh, Russia would actually be more dependent uh, on uh, selling its energy resources to Europe, which could get them from elsewhere, uh, and that this would, in the long term, solve the Russian problem as, as, as they become economically integrated. Uh, so, and no one expected this Ukrainian thing, and, and that that really has been a huge change. And then, um, uh, this is a strange thing for me to say uh, as an American, but but this guy, Victor Urban, you know. Um, this is one thing that happens. Uh, this happened in NATO, in the European Union. You get these people from places like, uh, I'll just mention Thomas Elvis, uh, Radek Sikorsky, 
uh, Olaf Palma, Václav Havel, all of a sudden these people are going to, uh, to the, sitting at the table and setting the agenda. And, and that's, that's what happens in NATO and, and the European Union. It's, it's a very interesting uh, phenomenon. Uh, Pierre Harmel, uh, you know, going back. It, it's, this is not unusual that uh, a country you once called medium sized and you called small, <laughs> it's not unusual. Question of perspective. In, 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 uh, in this multilateral yeah, Europe, for. for the, uh, the quality of an argument, no matter where it comes from, to, to set the agenda. Okay. Okay, sure. Um, I'm coming more from the from the German perspective, so I'm thinking of you know die Wende and the Energiewende. Um, is is that the same transition that you're referring to in Hungary, or how is the transition different? And you mentioned also that there's sort of agreement between the right and left on climate change. Is are there, is there popular support for something like an Energiewende or supporting renewable energy or for trying to transition off of... Uh, yes, the small green party is trying to, to introduce this topic, but honestly, basically, the Hungarian population is pro-atomic uh, uh, power, and it's one of the reasons why the Hungarian government was introduced this deal with the Russians. Uh, of course, the left, the opposition was completely against, but they, they were setting up the deal during the, the government. So uh, there is a kind of consensus in Hungarian politics concerning the, the, the atomic uh, energy. It's 40% of the Hungarian consumption, electronic consumption, uh, came from Paksh, this uh, atomic plant. So it's very hard to replace. There, yes, there are, there are some kind of... Uh, of um, of propositions from, from this Green Party, and there are in, investments in new energy, but it's not, not, so, not so important than, than, than in Germany, not really. And then, so is the, what was the transition that you were referring to? Is, uh, so it was, basically the Hungarian industry was based on coal. Okay. So the, the, the heavy industry was based on coal, and it's completely eliminated, and now it's more, uh, yes, more atomic, and more, a little bit of, of new energies, uh, gas, a lot of gas too. So yes, uh, and, you know, the the political will is missing, honestly. If uh, if the Greens uh, will win the next elections, uh, it it will be very important. But they they won't win the elections, honestly. So I, I don't think that it will change. And I think that basically we are, it's the same for Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Poland. And Poland for, for the Poles, the coal uh, mining uh, is very, very important. And they are uh, opposing on the highest level the common uh, European energy policy on the, on the new, uh, new energy. So it's a very complicated topic in Central Europe. Did you have a question, sir? Um, yeah, like, back to the immigrate, immigrants and so forth. Um, understanding the risks uh, with uh, the people from the Middle East, it seems that the Central European countries, especially maybe Poland and, and Hungary, are a bit more resistant to accepting refugees than Germany, Northern European countries. Uh, is that, or do you care to comment on that, please? Uh, and does that have to do with historical problems with the Ottomans and so forth? Or? Yes, basically it's historical. Uh, you know, it's a, we, we produce more history than we can consume in Central Europe. So the basic uh, historical 
happenings in Central Europe in the last century that other peoples are coming and they are taking our countries. And I know how irrational could be for an American, but you know, when you leave this with your family and with your country, and there is more complicated in Hungary, we have lived on, under Ottoman rule for two centuries, in the, uh, between the 16th and the 18th centuries. So, of course, it's wonderful. We have paprika from our Turkish uh, occupation troops. It's wonderful. But basically, it was not a such, such a good experience. And, you know, and the most popular book in Hungary and film even today is The Stars of Eger. It's the story of, uh, of the siege of the Hungarian fort in the 16th century against the Ottomans. And, of course, we won. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, seeing... And you know how irrational could be, I, I say again, but, but seeing this flood coming without end, uh, so, you know, I, I had interviewed people in the streets of Budapest who had people, uh, refugees, uh, migrants, in the streets of Budapest 18 hours a day, and they were wonderful people. But they said to me, you know, it's very complicated, and, and uh, we, we don't want this in, in Hungary. So, uh, yes, and honestly, Hungary is... Uh, and, and other European, uh, Central European countries are, culturally speaking, very close. There are a lot of changes, of course, but it's slow. Uh, we have been under, behind the Iron Curtain. It was a cultural separation, not only political, but cultural. So we, we haven't had Gastarbeiter, like in Germany, so not people coming from other countries to work here. And multiculturalism is not a, not a very good uh, word in, in Hungary and Central Europe. You know, for an average Hungarian, the model has been always Germany and Austria. And a lot of Hungarians are working, and it's, culturally speaking, it's very close. But, but uh, Hungarians are a little bit afraid uh, from the big Western cities now. And uh, I know from Polish friends that they have same experiences. So uh, millions of millions of Central European are working in Western European cities, but sometimes they have the feeling that they are in other countries. And, you know, if you didn't have this experience at home, uh, it's, it could be very, very hard to deal with. And we have to change it, of course. We, we have to... Sometimes there are dark sides of this, this close, close mind, of course. But uh, I don't think that after Paris and Brussels, any politicians in Central Europe or any public intellectuals could say or would say that we have followed this model. Not really. So it's over in that, in, I think, in Central Europe. Yes? Um, this is kind of switching gears, but you mentioned that people are leaving and working in a lot of Western cities. Do you think that there is a brain drain um, at all in Hungary that's causing economic problems? Um, and if you see much of that, what are those problems? Honestly, yes. When you have a lack of doctors in Hungary, thousands and thousands of doctors are leaving for Germany. You know, they are very good doctors, the Hungarian... Uh, education, health education is very good. A lot of Germans are studying in Budapest, actually. But, pe uh, but people who were paid by the Hungarian states to learn, and they leave the country, and they, they are benefits for much uh, richer countries, I think it's a real issue. Not only for Hungary, for other countries too. And not only doctors, you know, skilled workers, to, to find a, a good carpenter in Budapest, it's hard. Because they are all working for five times five times more money in, in, in Germany. And you could understand, of course, one side. And 
we have signed this, okay? The European Union is about traveling freely, but working in other countries, okay? But I think there is, we have to think about, honestly, because uh, with this branding, there, we are small countries, you know. For, for Germany, 1,000 more Hungarian doctors, it's, it's nothing. For us, it could be a catastrophe. So it's, and, but how to, how to match this with the, the principle of free movement? There is no very good answer at this, but I think it's a huge issue in Hungary. Elsewhere as well, I have a friend in Germany who tells me that uh, you want a carpenter, you have to speak Polish. Hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's the, the rule of the market economy. It's okay. But now I think we are on a level, and other, other aspect of the story. Uh, if a German could choose, he will choose a Hungarian, a Polish, or a Slovak uh, guy for working, honestly. Because it's closer. Sometimes the Polish guy or the Hungarian guy speaks German, and it's more, more reliable, and the whole stuff is more, you know, not so strange. So if there are five Gastarbeiter from, let's say, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Hungary, he will choose the Hungarian. Not because we are the best, but... You know, it's a question of, of culture too, and uh, but so it's good for Hungary. From you know, people are working and they they are coming back. I hope so. But uh, in the in the in the public health service now, it's a huge problem. James, I'm from an economically depressed part of the United States, and we have a hard hard time keeping doctors. I mean, they. Actually, our doctors come from the, the developing world, like India, and, you know, Caribbean, and, yeah. and so that's that's one of the. So that, I mean, they're sort of like replacing your natives go abroad and then yeah, yeah. Places. But you know, in India, there are you know, ten on thousand of doctors graduating every year, so they have yeah. the and 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 we have the the problem of the the next generation of doctors. Okay, ma'am. This is going back a little bit to journalism, but um, my understanding is that there's quite a lot of opposition to Orban, and that one of the criticisms is that he's sort of the censorship and oppression of opportunities for free speech and things. So my sister says she listens to the radio, and she says he's doing everything to make that difficult to put it out. This is a very left-wing mm-hmm. um, station on the radio, right? Um, are you what? What things are you most critical of Orban about, and would you be willing to write it in a publication? Of course, sure. In your own. Sure, or? sure, sure. Absolutely. So I mentioned the story about the useful idiot, the Hungarian government. Yes, it was my story, and I, I write this every week. And you mentioned the story of Club Radio. You know, there was a political will to be to be to play dirty with them, but at the end, the court has said no. They have the. The valid, the valid license. So you know. So in many levels, I am very critical with them. And there is yes, sometimes there is political will to influence everything, not only media, everything. But you know, Hungary is not Russia or not Turkey. At the end, we have courts, we have the European Union. There is popular uh, uh, strike or, or protestations against you know. So there is a kind of, 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 and if you look at the most popular TV station, RTL Club, owned by a German company, uh, the most popular website, index.hu, one million visitors uh, a day. It's huge uh, amount in a country of 10 millions. And if you look at the most popular news, daily newspaper and weekly, Nipsabachag and Havegi, they are all uh, on opposition stance. So 
Yes, in 2010, the Hungarian uh, parliament voted a controversial uh, media law, but at the end of 2013, they had to change the law because of the European Commission and the European Council. So, uh, of course, Orban didn't make a great statement that, they had, that he failed, but uh, I think that, that it's clear that nobody has been jailed, nobody has been censored, so it's, it's not true. It's simply not true. There is political and business involvement in media. That, that's true, that every uh, political groups and media or, or economical interest groups are trying to set up their own media holding. That's true. But there is pluralism, you know. It's clear that the Hungarian public uh, television is the tool of, of the government. But it has always been the tool of the government since the regime changed because of, we have this system. Uh, politician doesn't have the elegance uh, not to interfere in the business of media. And now, uh, yes, it's clear that the public radio and or the public television is playing for the Fidesz government. But you, uh, you know, the share of the market is 8%. Everybody knows that they are a tool of information for the government people don't care about. So, you know, it's not the, it's not the age of, of, of communism when we had one radio station and one television station. <laughs> there is pluralism, there is uh, competition too, and there is a battle of ideas every day, every day. And, and thanks God, so I am happy with that. So, you know, Hattie uh, Wallace is a conservative news magazine. We have liberal news magazine, leftist news magazine, centrist news magazine, and we are competing each other. And we are writing stories, and we are criticizing the, uh, our own, let's say, political, more closer political uh, parties or government. But I think it's fine. So it's the part of the game, and I, I'm happy with that. And the court system, is that functioning well? Yes. Uh, uh, it was a little bit too quickly, but uh, not, the problem is not the political interference, honestly. The problem is they are too slow, they take too many times to make decisions, they are overrun sometimes with cases, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, cases, especially in the economic field, are very complicated. And it's very hard to train uh, the, the, the people and the officials to deal with this kind of, of corruption or economical uh, issues. It's a very hard task. But it's not, you know, not about that Orban will nominate judges. It's not true. It's about uh, you know, the, the, new, the new economical transition and transformation. They have hard times to follow this kind of transition. That's true. Yes? Uh, Tell us what you learned about traveling through America. No. It's a beautiful country, honestly. No, it's yes. You know, from from the European perspective, we we say that the U.S. as a monolith, yeah, America. It's Hollywood. It's Mickey Mouse. It's the military, and let's say the movies. Uh, but I'm amazed how your country, colorful and rich, is in in the cultural and societal level. So. I was in the South, and, and South Carolina is completely different from Washington, D.C. or from Colorado. And uh, I was happy to, to know a little bit and to spend time in Washington, D.C. And I was amazed how San Francisco is different from, from Washington, D.C. So you have to be proud. Absolutely. So I think it's a, it's a very amazing country, uh, a rich country, and uh, with a lot of amazing people. I am wondering that a taxi driver could smile. I think it's a new experience for somebody <laughs> from Budapest. So it's, it's very exciting. And uh, yes, I know about your politics, but uh, and of course I, I try to follow. But honestly, you know, 
you you have more resources that that you think you have even the people you hate you in the world are uh, in the real life are fascinated by the US and they try to resist but uh, american movies are everywhere and the most popular uh, more, most popular cinema uh, in those days in budapest the batman and uh, i don't know the superman yeah. super yes <laughs> you know i don't know how many thousands of people are are running to the hungarian cinemas to look at american movies and you know i, I know that there are some criticism toward uh, this kind of movies but this kind of you have you won the cold war not because of your army because of rock music and uh, Radio Free Europe, and the uh, whole stuff. So the soft power is probably the most powerful American weapon you have ne- ever invented. So, uh, no, you know, it's, it's very, very important because, honestly, and I am fascinated by the Chinese culture uh, and the depth of the Chinese culture, but there is no attract, you know, there is no... I, I don't want to see a Chinese movie, or I don't, I don't want to... I, I, we don't drink Chinese, I don't know, sodas in Budapest. Of course, we, we drink Coca-Cola. And even if we are speaking, oh, there is too much McDonald's and Coca-Cola in Budapest, we are proud of it because it's a kind of, you know, exciting thing to, to be part of this, this, this global market. And uh, so I understand how uh, the opposition heart could be in the political level. But I think you, you have a pretty good system and you have to be like the right person uh, to avoid to destroy this very good functioning system. And I am, I am a great uh, uh, fan of your founding fathers and the American Constitution. I think it's probably the, one of the most important uh, documenta uh, the, the mankind hand, have ever written. So I think it's, a, it's an amazing document. But you, you have to be careful with the politicians. I am a veteran of political journalism. <laughs> they, are, they, they are very strong, uh, strange people. So... <laughs> <laughs> To follow up with that, um, just with, with our founding fathers, when, when America tried to create governments in Japan or Germany, we created parliamentary systems, not presidential systems. Uh, from coming yeah, because you have understood that they have other cultural background, and I think it's the strength of America, or it was the strength of America to understand, with the help of universities and the intellectual firepower, uh, you were able to understand other cultures and to adapt systems to those countries. With the Middle East, it's, most compli- it's more complicated, but Germany and Japan, and even Central Europe. So, yes, we have problems. Yes, we have a lot of uh, economical and political fights, and, and we have strange politicians, but I think, basically, Central Europe and the transition is a success story. Without war, uh, without uh, killing people, Okay, I don't speak about the Balkans, but about the V4 countries. And uh, yes, we have integrated the global market and the global competition, and it's good. So we are tra- and we are we are part of this transatlantic community, and I think it's good. And I see not only on the subjective level because I am interested in America and I love American uh, movies, not the American football. I'm sorry to say that I am a big fan of European football, but uh, but on an objective level. So for somebody from Central Europe, uh, U.S. is and will be the key player because without you, uh, we have the Russians and we have the and I admire the Russian culture and uh, I have a lo- I learned a lot about the, the 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 Russian literature, but the the Russian politics is a completely different stuff. 
and we have always been in a trouble when, when Russia was strong and when Russia was involved in Central European affairs. We have to deal with them. We have to have good relationship with them. It's okay. But being uh, completely uh, bounded to them, it's a completely other question. And without the, without the US, it's a, it's a huge risk. So um, I'm a historian, and there's other historians in the room, so I'd like to ask you sort of one kind of history-based question. Um, the, um, so if you, if you study uh, Central and Eastern European history, as I did and as James did and um, others, uh, well, more Russian, but um, you, you, learn, you, you learn the political map of Europe, but then you also learn a very different map, which is an ethnic map. Um, and... Uh, the ethnic map of Europe um, simplified dramatically after because of the cataclysm of the Second World War, um, of course, um, and um, there were major population shifts um, across the continent. Um, but Hungary, uh, unlike the unlike the Germans who were expelled from Eastern Europe, Hungar- Hungary's minorities and expelled also from from like Bohemia, right? Yes. The, with the Benesh degrees, um, the the Hungari- the, the Magyars, the Hungarians of the the countries surrounding the minorities surrounding um, Hungary remain, um, I think, for the most part in yes, these countries. And absolutely. I think actually, with possible exception of Austria, I think every single country surrounding yes, even Hungary Austria has, has a, a small community, but the others are more community. important. That's true. So I'm wondering how does. Um, how does that affect uh, Hungary's relationships mm-hmm. with its neighbors? Does that affect Hungary's relationships with its neighbors? And um, are there... I, I assume that the, those Hungarians, the Magyars, um, outside of Hungary are consumers of Magyar culture. They sure. probably read your newspapers. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, d- d- are there sort of a hung- are there government efforts to maintain those communities? Does it go through the EU? How does how might yes, that work? Yes, uh, so... Uh, it's a very important question for, for uh, the Hungarian politics and Hungary as general. So, you know, we are speaking about the most important national minority in Europe. You have 1.2 million of Hungarians in Romania, uh, 600,000 in Slovakia. So mm-hmm. it's a very important community. And honestly, it's probably the most important wound in the Hungarian national pride. Right. Uh, but it's not, you know, sometimes there is a kind of simplification that we, we, we want to fight and we want to start conflicts with the others because of the low stereotypes. It's no, no way. We have entered to the World War II and we have lost the World War II because of the lost territories. Mm-hmm. It's no way. Even the Yobik, and believe me, they are, they are crazy guys. <laughs> Even the Yobik doesn't speak about uh, coming back these territories. It's no way. So it's over. But I think we have the right, and those communities have has the right to 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 choose their identities. Uh-huh. And if they identify themselves as a Hungarian, as a Magyar, and they identify themselves as a Magyar or Hungarian, uh, they have the right to do that. And they have to. Uh, they are uh, taxpayer in their country, so I think they have the right to learn in their maternal tongue. It's a. It's for me. It's a basic human right. As I am not offended to see the Slovakian name of villages outside of Budapest, because they have Slovakian communities. As I am not offended to see Romanian high school in Dula, in the south part of the country, because there is a small Romanian community. If I am not offended, I am very welcome that there are uh, Roma communities, uh, auto-government Roma uh, communities, 
I have to be, and the, the Hungarian government has been and will always be asking for the basic human rights for those communities. And I think there is a misunderstanding because the rights are not destabilizing factors. They, are, they stabilize the countries. The Hungarian parties in Slovakia and Romania and Serbia were uh, always part of pro-EU and pro-US governments because they know that for them the best way to preserve their identity and their communities is being part of, of the European family. They, they don't have to... They, they didn't like Milosevic, they didn't like Iliescu, they didn't like Mečar in Slovakia because no, they know that they, they, uh, the Europe without borders means uh, the, the free movement to Hungary and having very strong cultural and economical bonds. So I think they are key elements of, of stability in, in Central, Central Europe. And I think it's a, they are part of our heritage and Central Europe uh, is colorful even today uh, if you think about from the Greek minority in Albania to the small remaining, I don't know, a uh, couple of Germans in Lithuania or Poles in Lithuania. It's part of our heritage. We have to be careful with this heritage. That's so saying that uh, they, they don't have the right to learn in the mother tongue or this time is over and we have to, all to be Europeans. I don't b believe in this rhetoric, honestly. And uh, all Hungarian governments since the regime change uh, have been very concerned about the future of those communities and they were ready to spend a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of energy to keep those communities alive in these countries. And have the neighboring countries like Slovakia and Romania, I guess especially, but maybe also Serbia, have they been, have they been receptive? Uh, it depends on political forces yeah. and uh, sometimes the, the level of political strength because honestly their goal is to assimilate those communities. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, they, honestly, it's my perspective, maybe I'm subjective, but their they goal is to build a national state. They are pretty young states and they, they don't need minorities who uh, remind them that they... they the territories have been member or part of, of an other countries, honestly. So but they, still, they still have Babish Boyoy. I'm sorry? They still have Babish Boyoy. Yes, 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 yes. In Cluj. Yes, I mean, in Cluj, yes. So it's the it's name always. Of the university yes. is a Romanian Hungarian. Yes, name. but it's always a fight to keep alive this heritage, you mm -hmm. know. So uh, I think, yes, it's a clear goal to assimilate those communities. And I think there is a clear goal from, from the Hungarian community as a whole. It's not only, you know, it's not only a political government story. It's very deep human relationship among... They are Hungarian as we are. So it's... And, we, and during the communism, it was a taboo. And we wouldn't like to live in a period then uh, it, it will be a taboo again. Yes. Um, I went to Hungary last year wow. to visit Budapest, and there was a flag on the Hungarian parliament that I believe was from Romania. Um, yes, can you yes, explain it's, a little bit about that? Yes, yes, it's a kind of uh, sign of solidarity with the Seclar community. Seclar is the biggest uh, Hungarian group in Romania, and they, uh, they are asking for territorial autonomy, like uh, in South Tyrol, in, um, in Italy, or uh, Oland Island in Sweden. Or, or other uh, Gagaus community in Moldova, or so they are, they are in a kind of uh, fight for, for rights. And uh, they, the Romanian authorities sometimes ban their flags, saying that they, they don't have the right to, to have their own flags, and it's a kind of solidarity, yes. yes. So there's actually a secular 
distinct sim symbolism or symbology. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And you know, Sackler is a very, it's the core of the Hungarian identity. They are more Hungarian than the average Hungarian. Okay. So they are the descendant of Attila. Yeah. They, they, in all mythology, they are very fighting people. They are uh, living in the mountains. So it's a kind of very... Uh, very interesting, uh, historically speaking, very interesting movement and very interesting people. But they are they are Hungarians and they are they are asking for rights inside inside Romania. In my head, I always think of them as the Texans of Hungarian. Culture. Absolutely. No, so English. yes, I, now you understand my how my mental shorthand. Yes, yes. Like. How 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 complicated people they are. Yes, <laughs> and I, I could say because I'm I am partly secular, but they are very tough. Very they are very tough guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. Any further questions? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you.